As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Total Soccer Show's latest Champions League review. Yes, we're looking at match day two, where Man United were left anything but delighted. PSG suffered a Geordie scoring spree. Arsenal had no good reason for their first loss of the season. And who could have resisted Jude Bellingham when he scored and assisted? My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today on this intrepid journey, your friend and mine, Taylor Rocco. Hi, Taylor. Meh. Okay. Also here, Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. It's really bumming me out that the best player, the best young player in the world is English. I I don't like it. We've gone this long without that being the case. I'm just not a fan of this new reality. I'm going to echo Taylor's meh. Okay, um, but for different reasons, I imagine, right. being more um, related to the Taylor Rockwell derby, which we'll get to shortly. Um, <laughs> also joining us on this one, it's Graham Rutherford. Hi, Graham. Meh. I mean, that meh wasn't related to anything that happened during this, the Champions League this week. That's just my general demeanor. Demeanor, no, your, meh. Your general oeuvre is meh. I like that. Very nice. Very nice, Graham. Um, there, this, this is peak Graham Rutherford, I think, these kind of Champions League weeks where there was a lot of very, very good games. One of the better group stage rounds, I would suggest, in recent mem- memory, Graham. But um, also lots and lots and lots of games. You must be in your element. Were you minority reporting? Were you multi-screening? I was indeed. Yeah, mm. I was indeed. And some matches, I was talking before we started recording, some matches, I was talking about how you think some matches are going to be good, and then you kind of realise there are other better matches happening. So Dortmund-Milan last mm. night, I started watching quite a bit of that in the first half. Not so much of the second half as other <laughs> matches were were, uh, were were lighting up. But yes, a, a great week of Champions League action. I have to admit though, Ryan, when we spoke about the new Champions League format on the big thing a couple of weeks ago, I missed that every match finishing three two is yeah. part of that format. We didn't mention that. That's 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 our bad. We should have yeah. we should have uh, referenced that. They're trialing it, and frankly, I don't mind it, Graham. I don't <laughs> mind it at all. It's, it's one of the better of, changes. <laughs> yeah, let's say it is. Uh, the Swiss 3-2 system, I believe they're calling it at this point. Um, <laughs> listen, if you'd like to support us, patreon.com slash Show. We have bonus eps. We have videos on there. I was at a Charlotte FC game just this week. Did a little And video, they won. And they won against the worst team. Graham, they were so bad. Still a win. 
Take them while you can. <laughs> Take the dub while you can, indeed. But a uh, very good time was had by myself there. Uh, check us out on there. We've also got a Discord, which you can get access to via Patreon. So if you'd like to support us once again, we would appreciate that very muchly indeed. Let us get to the Champions League action, for there is much of it, as we've established. We should probably start, though, Taylor Rockwell. How about we start at St. James's Park, the new theatre of dreams. Are we calling it that? Can we call it that? Yeah? Good. I would prefer not to, but you can <laughs> if you like. Where I am then, like where my brain then goes, is if we are supposed to default to three to two score lines, does that mean Newcastle overperformed or PSG underperformed in that four to one win? It was yes. still, yeah, there was the same <laughs> net goalage. So we're okay because it was Newcastle four, PSG one, of course. Uh, soft power derby this one. Um, Dan Byrne and Sean Longstaff, Champions League. Dan Byrne, a Champions League goal scorer. What, what a world we're living in right yeah. now. I'm, I'm amazed by that. Newcastle, they've waited two decades for this night. Their last Champions League game at home was a 2-0 loss to Barcelona in March 2003. Taylor, like, we can... Obviously, we have our, uh, our opinions on Newcastle, their mm-hmm. current ownership group, and those of PSG as well, of course. But for the fans in that stadium... It just It's one of those games where you could really feel it through the TV. There was a few of these, actually, from this game round. And this one at St. James's Park, it kind of felt special. And it just felt... I, I was kind of pleased for Newcastle because it's hard to dislike that team because they are, you know, they're a bit of a tour de force in the northeast, of course. And I'm even quite impressed with what Eddie Howe has done with this team in terms of the calibre of play he had on the field. But your Dan Burns and your Sean Longstaffs keeping up with PSG in this manner and defeating them is incredibly impressive. It is. It certainly is. I do think a lot of this has to do with, or at least some of it has to do with PSG, not being in a rebuild period necessarily, but just being in a very confusing transitional period. I do also enjoy that with Miguel Almiron scoring, Lionel Messi having success in Major League Soccer. This is just proof that MLS is better than PSG. Uh So I'm glad uh that we've got that officially stated now. That's good to know. Uh, For me, listening to BBC Football Daily, uh, that podcast, and hearing them broadcast live from Old Trafford, where there was a lot of crowd noise, just uh, not Manchester United fans, contrasting that with St. James's Park, where they were broadcasting live, and just how raucous that atmosphere was. I think they were recording like an hour after the game, and it was still pretty rowdy, uh, or maybe it was half an hour with players still on the pitch, as you mentioned there. And it does just feel like there is a weight off in Newcastle. There is a lot of enthusiasm. There is a lot of just joy and happiness about that team, which is an exciting thing, given that they have not had much joy under Mike, Mike Ashley. Uh, and it's a like it's a testament to how they built this team. We've talked about it previously, but they've got players from the local community, players that were from the team before that they were purchased before the takeover. But they've obviously added plenty of quality uh, to that squad. And so it's a logical roster build that has put them in a really smart position. And this game really did feel like a not necessarily a turning point, but just a very big statement of intent for Newcastle, yeah. both in the Champions League and I think for the rest of the season. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's difficult to watch this kind of performance and see this kind of result and not take some sort of statement from it, given where Newcastle are. And also given the fact that it's against PSG, which is some sort of cautionary tale for Newcastle United at this point. You don't want to become the PSG with the backing of the Sovereign Wealth Fund, um, but it very much seems like they are doing their best to avoid that fate. And this was an incredible performance by, by Newcastle. Also an incredible performance by PSG, but in a very, very different way. And we'll come on to that a little bit later on. It is one match and PSG made it easy easy for them. But as I say, it is difficult not to project from this point on for Newcastle. I think this club can become a real force in the Champions League. And on this evidence, again, this is where I'm probably getting a little bit ahead of myself. But you look at the trajectory of the two clubs and the two teams. 
I would maybe back Newcastle to win a Champions League before PSG at this point, given how they have built that squad, given how much money they've got and how they can build from this point. So many of the old problems we have seen from PSG in recent seasons were there again in this performance. It is remarkable that a club can sack a manager, hire a new manager, sell all their players, sign new players, and then somehow still be the same team on the pitch. It felt very, very PSG, and Newcastle absolutely deserved to win this one in my eyes. I mean, I feel like that's called the Manchester United special, but whatever. If you want to give credit to PSG for doing that first, you can, I guess. Um, a couple of different ways to go. Taylor doing the Manchester United self owns is a, a really good way to tee up the second segment that we've got it. coming. So excited I love about it that. So much. Yeah, it's not um, it's not tragic at all when fans start to do that. I hate myself too. I'm smiling. <laughs> I'm smiling with my smile, but not with my eyes. That's or your heart, Taylor. We, we get it. Um, <laughs> oh, a couple things. Smizing. Oh no. First of all, um, all it takes is for a country to take over your team, and you too could have a Champions League fairy tale. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm still having a hard time getting behind Newcastle at this point, and, and some of the progress yeah. that. Was expected. Like th- this is expected. Maybe not this specific result, uh, but you know none of this trajectory for Newcastle is surprising after they get taken over by Saudi Arabia a couple of years ago. Things are going according to plan. I will set that aside though because I have sympathy for Newcastle fans that maybe don't agree with the ownership and, and didn't maybe want that takeover to happen but are still fans of this club and were long before this ever happened. This was an incredible performance from Newcastle, the soccer team, and I know these things are inextricably linked, so it's it's difficult to set one aside, but this was a very, very strong performance from Newcastle. I couldn't believe, guys, the energy that they had early on. And yeah, we'll get on to PSG's issues, because I know Graham's uh, wound up like a clock already, ready to, to go off. Like They were so aggressive early in this game. Eddie Howe sets them up in the 4-3-3 that we've come to expect for the most part, and they are so aggressive. They're, they're wingers are celebrating like high pressing moments like goals like whenever they force PSG into a mistake they were so up for it in this game and the press was very very good very sharp very disciplined the players clearly understood their angles in that 4-3-3 you had the, the two free eights for for Newcastle stepping up and at times joining the front line and that adjusts the positioning of the wingers they they caused real problems for some of the best on-ball players in the world. Marquinhos did not look like himself in this game. PSG did not look like themselves in this game. And I think some of that is likely a different system. PSG coming out in basically a 4-2-4 in this game. And it it didn't seem to work, even though they had a a very strong chance less than five minutes into this match. I believe it's Dembele who takes a shot on the right side of the box after they've had a really nice break forward. Something like that, finding the back of the net instead of missing wide, completely changes this result. It flips it on its head. But man, I was impressed by what Newcastle brought and, and still continue to be disappointed and surprised, frankly, that PSG don't and, and are, are still yet to put together more cohesive performances, even after I think they are clearly a better team this year than they were last year. So, Graham, as far as I can tell, one of the key features of uh, PSG 2.0, or whatever we're calling them, is, you know, good at passing, but like less interested in scoring goals and being fun. Is that fair? That's Lucho Ball. We saw that with with Spain. Um, This is is painful for me because Luis Enrique is someone that as a manager I have been a big fan of in the past. I, slightly bold opinion, but his his Barcelona team for me was the most entertaining team I've ever seen. Even more entertaining than Pep's Barcelona. We could argue whether they were better or not. But that team that had Neymar and Messi and Suarez as the front line, that won the Champions League in what was that, 2016 um, that was a great team. And Luis Enrique, I think there have been signs of how good a manager he is since then, even with Spain. And even at points this season, even though they've had a difficult, I, I would say, frankly, a terrible start to the to the league on season, when PSG played Dortmund in, in match day one, I think we reviewed that game. And they and were went, good. PSG looked good. 
This looked like a coherent unit. This looked like a, a, a the best version of a Lewis Enrique team. There was no sign of that in, in this match. And his setup for this match was very, very confusing. And the way that PSG played, it looked like they found it confusing as well. So as Joe mentioned, it looked like a 4-2-4. At times it was a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-4-2. But the way the, the players were shoehorned into positions in those shapes, I didn't get it at all. You know, Mbappe, Colomoane... Um, Ramos, Dembele and the same team with Agarte and Zaire Emery as the double pivot Vicinha, who I thought would have been perfect for this for a match like this where PSG needed to be strong in the middle of the pitch they needed to be a little bit nimble in there a little bit of physicality in there as well Vicinha I thought was one of the best players in match day or uh, the first round of matches against Dortmund he starts on the bench in this game and this was the same setup that they used against Clermont Foot at, at, at the weekend and guess what? It didn't work then either. Claremont were able to sit in a low block. They pushed Mbappe into the middle where he is less comfortable and they did what Newcastle did, except Newcastle have so much more threat on the break than Claremont do. And we saw that in, in this match and in possession, there was no fluidity. It was all very stilted. I don't know if the theory was that Newcastle would be deep and so there, would be, there, there wouldn't be any space in behind. So maybe the idea was to have as many runners as possible basically barge through Newcastle's defence. That didn't work though. Out of possession, two against three in the midfield meant that PSG had nobody to block the half spaces. I think if you look at how Sean Longstaff was completely untracked for the third goal, that is a consequence of that setup. So it didn't work at all for PSG. And I can't really, even though Lucho clearly knows more about football and tactics than I ever will, I just can't get my head around how he ever thought this was going to work. Yeah, it, it didn't work for PSG very clearly. I, I won't argue with that at all. Grim, one of the weird things that I thought popped up for PSG in this game, we think about, Ryan, you you let us in with it, right? PSG being very good at passing. Like under Luis Enrique, all Luis Enrique teams are good at smothering the ball, at controlling it, at doing all the, the things that you expect a team, a ball-dominant team to do. PSG didn't take good care of the ball in the early stages of this game at all, to the point where they're down multiple goals by the end of the first half and, and playing away from home against a quality team in Newcastle you're not really expecting them to come back at this point. So their biggest issue, I thought, early on in the game, maybe less structural, although I don't necessarily think that shifting into this 4-2-4 shape for this game was the right idea. I'm just not exactly sure how much blame to put on Enrique. Certainly some should go towards him for the shape and maybe the player's lack of comfort. Graham's right, they did play it earlier on. But it just wasn't high level execution from the players, sloppy turnovers, players being slow to react. I think this is one where, yes, there's some blame on the manager, but the players, players we don't usually expect to make these kinds of mistakes, ended up shooting themselves in the foot too. Has PSG, for any of you all, ever had an identity since that takeover? Like they've had the super club mentality, they've had the big spenders, they've had plenty of attack. I struggle to think of a style of play or a philosophy or an identity even to this team other than star power that if it clicks looks very good and if it doesn't looks the opposite but I, I I still feel like this team just doesn't have that sort of core value that core structure that could elevate them yeah. and I feel like that's the thing that continues to be missing and maybe won't help them get better if they don't have that in the long term I don't think PSG have ever had an identity mm -hmm. since the takeover it has been much more player driven rather than club or, or coaching driven I still think even with this bad result there are, and a bad season so far, to be clear. I think this could be the start of something. They're still likely to make it out of this group, at least after two match days. They're still in the top two of Group F in the Champions League. So things are, are still mostly okay in terms of their play in, in, in the Champions League. But 
I think things make sense. Like I think all the pieces will yeah. ultimately fit together, even if they're not coming together right now. Also, I guess there is a small chance that it doesn't happen. I look silly for saying it, but it just, on paper, things seem to be much healthier now than they were a year ago, even if the big results haven't come yet. You, you can see sort of, maybe not so much in this match, but looking, taking a, a broader look at this season, you can see what Lucho's trying to do. And how many times have you heard with new managers, fans being frustrated because they can't see what a new manager is, is, is trying to do. So I think Lucho has at least that to fall back on. And I, I do think PSG squad looks better balanced now, both between youth and experience and player different types of profiles of players. It looks better balanced now than it did last season. So I certainly wouldn't write them off just yet. All right, let's not do that. PSG second in the group in Group F, Newcastle, of course, top. Uh, before we hit a break, Taylor, maybe just a quick beat on the other two members of Group F, Dortmund nil, Milan nil, the Christian Pulisic mm-hmm. derby, if you will. Uh, any quick thoughts on this one? Yeah, uh, Rafael Leal, still quite good. Uh, mm-hmm. Lots of direct runs from him on the ball, but he showcased speed, he showcased the physicality, he showcased his ability to stop on a dime. He had Matt Hummels come at him at full speed and he just stopped, put his foot on the ball, Hummels went, Running out of the picture, and then on went Rafael Leao. Uh, no end product necessarily for Milan, but he was still just an electric dribbler and a very strong presence on the ball. Uh, but then very cool to see Yunus Musa and Christian Pulisic in this game, and I thought both of them looked looked good. Uh, Pulisic, I saw a lot more of what Graham was talking about in the weekend review, that you can see how his teammates are starting to get him more. The relationship with Giroud continues to expand, but the way... They know kind of how to hold the ball up for that extra second to wait for the teammate to get into the exact spot they want to be in to then play the ball. Lots of different wall passes, lots of good combinations down the right uh, between uh, Pulisic and Giroud. And then Yunus Musa getting involved down that side as well and getting a lot of like uh, little brother instruction, I guess is how I would put it. There were multiple times when they would cut to him and like Giroud would have a hand on the shoulder talking to him about something and Musa would be giving him like, yep, yep, mm-hmm, yep, 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 I'm right on it. And I just like that he he definitely seems to have gelled in pretty well but also is learning along the way and i think we'll see him look an even more electrifying player for the u.s when he comes into camp uh, in the october friendlies uh, and we did get a moose maneuver in this game as well a nice like 30 yard run gets the ball back i think ends up getting a corner out of it uh but to see him dribble through that dortmund midfield in a champions league game was a was a pretty good moment for u.s fans i'm guessing yeah, definitely. Good to see Stefano Pioli's been very complimentary of both US players mm-hmm. as well recently, with Musa with his um, utility man status fitting in a few different positions and Pulisic um, giving him plenty of options in midfield. And he's got plenty of options too and still earning minutes, which is great. Very yeah, good. he, he had a sarcasm. What? Oh, sorry, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was <laughs> waiting and waiting for yes, there to so be I. something and it just never <laughs> came. What? Or at the oh, very happy. least, at the very least, they like England's own Yunus Musa yeah, or something like exactly. that. So we didn't get that. I was It was surprised. implied. It was okay. implied. He has, he has, it's like a little moment that doesn't matter, but it's Leao, uh, gets to the end line, crosses, and no one is there. So it, it almost goes out for a throw in on the far side. Yunus Musa chases it down and does the sort of like Ronaldo chop where he chops it behind his, his like lead foot basically to keep the ball in bounds. And it wasn't really necessary. Like he easily, he had no pressure on. So he easily could have just like put a foot on it, overrun it, turned around, and then come back in. But there was just a little bit of like sauciness to it. There's a little bit of flair that then he like turns around. He's like, what are we going to do? Like was ready to take somebody on and had no defender within 15 or 20 yards. So it was just that extra level of of just trying stuff that I feel like I haven't seen from Musa yet with Milan. So it was nice to have those moments on the evening, even if that second half, as Graham already mentioned, was not the most captivating. Uh, I hope there would be a goal or two to open this one up. Uh, alas, that was not meant to be. 
Alas, let's go to a five-goal game after a quick break, uh, one that Taylor won't be too delighted to talk about. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show. Welcome back to our Champions League review. We go now to the theatre of disappointment. I'm just I'm obsessed with the theatre of dreams <laughs> things today. Sorry, Taylor. A Man United two, Galatasaray three. The woeful United season continuing, particularly in defence. It seems Morocardi with the 81st minute winner, minutes after putting his PK wide, and Casemiro uh, seeing red after. Another Anana mistake. It's the first time United have started a Champions League group stage with successes defeats. They've lost six in their last ten in all competitions. Galatasaray hadn't had a, hadn't won a game on English soil in 117 years of existing until this week. Uh, it feels like with Manchester United, there's like an opposition team record broken in every single <laughs> match. Where Crystal Palace haven't gone five games unbeaten against Manchester. United. Oh, they've done it now. Galatasaray haven't won against English. Oh, they've done it now. Yeah, it's not. It's it's not a great time for Manchester United. Ryan, just when you mentioned the, the Casemiro Woo. red card, or the, 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 yeah, it was a red card, right? You get yeah. sent off in this game. I loved how he comes flying in through the back of that player, scythes the player in two. It's quite clearly a penalty, then stands up, turns around to the referee and goes, I got the ball, referee. <laughs> like, it was the greatest ever uh, protest that I've ever seen from a player. It, it, was, it was, yeah, it was a stonewaller. So... We- yeah, yeah, made all the better by the fact that he absolutely did not get anywhere near the ball. <laughs> like sometimes, sometimes <laughs> yeah. you'll hear that that's argument. I mean. It's like, oh, he got the ball, but then he also got the guy. Like, yeah, that's going to be a penalty. That was just like, no, you, you swept the leg like Cobra Kai, my friend. There was no, there was no ball to be had there. But no player ever stands up and goes, "Fair enough, I'll walk." Do they? You have to kind of put a protest up as part of the theater in the theater of I nightmares. I suppose um, you Taylor, t- 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 <laughs> the. the uh, can I be sort of contrary slightly and say that I didn't think United were terrible apart from the defense, like. Going forward with with Rasmus Hoyland. Well, Hoyland was bad, great. Right? I thought Hoyland was actually outstanding in this game. And and when Manchester United are two one up, sorry to jump in, Taylor, but oh, when Manchester United are two one up, <laughs> <laughs> when Manchester United are two one up, and Hoyland has scored that second goal, and I think he has he has another one disallowed, right? Yeah. I um I'm thinking this is the Rasmus Hoyland game, and this is the match that has has announced him as a bit of a superstar for Manchester United. He's going to carry this team out of trouble. Yes, they have their flaws, but as long as they've got Ho- Hoyland, and the way that he scores that first goal, where Manchester United get very quickly into transition, Rashford plays the ball into the middle. I messaged you Taylor as the game was happening. I said Man- a Manchester United centre forward has just attacked across into the middle in, in a moment of transition. What a world this is! Manchester United haven't had a player like that in a, in a long time. So at that point, it felt like this was the Hoyland game, but Manchester United's defence had something to say about that. But bit of a shambles at the back. I, I appreciated that message, Graham. I hated that I had like nothing to say back to you because at this point, it's not even it's not even fun to be like, oh, what a novel idea. But it was just the case that it's a thing that we haven't seen for so long, and I think that's factored into how they attack and how they want to try to shoot on goal or not shoot on goal. So 
It also felt like if he had uh, gotten that third, Wayne Rooney famously having the hat trick against Fenerbahce, sort of announcing himself in the oh, Champions yeah. League. So uh, a hat trick against another Turkish team, there might have been some nice symbolism there. Not meant to be, though, because I think Hoyland did look very good. The rest of Manchester United, the opposite of that. Uh, although, Ryan, maybe you disagree. But for me, this was just more of the same stuff we've been talking about. And, and that's where Manchester United almost become boring at this point. That it's a lack of attention to detail, not tracking back the way they need to, not marking uh, in the initial wave that, that they need to, to kind of frustrate how the uh, opponent wants to build. I think pretty clearly with Sofian Amrabat uh, playing left back in a very makeshift way. Uh, teams are targeting that side. I've seen a lot of people blaming him for uh, the Cardi goal, for like not stepping up as, as fast. The commentary team did a very good job of pointing out that he was the one to clear the ball, and his entire defense stepped up as he was clearing it. So I don't really put that on him, but I think it showcases just the poor communication and a lack of consistency in pretty much every aspect of the game. Aside from attacking transitions, which seems to be what Manchester United are prioritizing and how they want to play. But if you don't have the kind of buildup you need to then hit those balls into dangerous spaces, but you're instead playing them from further back or under pressure, it doesn't really work very well. And then the system breaks down and some of that connectivity falls apart. And then I think you're relying on individuals again and it becomes sort of the same performance we've seen from them. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Taylor. I thought a lot of the same issues that we've seen from Manchester United popped up in this game. Some of their their poor play and buildup of players not moving into the spaces they needed to quickly enough. Rafael Varane, a veteran a player that you expect to yeah. be one of the leaders kind of running through those patterns in deeper areas. He was a little slow, I thought, to push wide to give Andre Onana angles, and Onana did not have a good game. He has been oh, did erratic. something go wrong? Yeah, what do you mean? He's, he's been erratic so far. Uh, but even Onana was not the the one that really stood out to me most in this game. It was Diego Dallo, and it felt like in open play, the matchup between Dallo and Wilfred Zaha, that was like a, a must-see TV kind of wrestling match. I, I, that goal that is scored by Wilfred Zaha in the 23rd minute is like one of the worst examples of bullying I've seen in quite some time. <laughs> he just bullies Diego Dallo, Diogo, excuse me, Diogo Dallo, to collect a long ball and pushes him forward and pushes him forward and pushes him forward deeper into the box and scores. It's an awesome goal from Wilfred Zaha. But the number of times, guys, that those two players were in 1v1s, that Dallo was forced to defend Wilfred Zaha in space, it happens so often, which is obviously not a good situation for Manchester United. Wilfred Zaha is a good player. Dallo is a, a fine, if not exceptional, 1v1 defender. But it, this is not a good sign for Manchester United because... Think about what happens when the best teams in the world play soccer, right? Think about Manchester City. Think about even Real Madrid to a certain extent, right? You can run through a few others. Bayern Munich, although that's not the best example right now. At their peak, these teams control games by either controlling the ball or controlling space or doing some mixture of the two. Manchester United did not control this game. They didn't control where it was being played. They didn't control the tempo of this game. They didn't control space. They didn't control anything. So when you're playing catch-up, as Manchester United were, you're going to get exposed in some of those 1v1 moments because you don't have the structure and you don't have the ball to dictate how you and the opposition are going to move. Dalo ended up paying the price. Like, yeah, he, he doesn't cover himself in glory on that goal or in several other <laughs> moments in this game, yeah. but he was left out to dry by a team that is not playing within a cohesive structure or at least not is, is not executing, I should say, in that structure that Eric Ten Hag is, is trying to build and trying to get to catch on. Just so many problems, and, and I feel like I've said that about Manchester United on, like, four straight shows now. Yeah. I think, to your point, Joe, like, this is a Manchester United that take the lead twice, concede it twice, and then end up losing. So, 
uh, I, I'm assuming that was a turn of phrase when you were saying like playing from behind. But in this case, it feels like the, it's another example of them not really able to take full control of this game. And I contrast it with Manchester City, who start the second half pretty slack and you can see the frustration from Pep Guardiola. And then he, he kind of motivates them. The squad turns it around. They end up getting the win. This Manchester United team, it just feels like they continue to play as individuals when those moments happen. And I think about teams of the past, Ferguson teams of the past, if there were a player being targeted or spotlighted in this way that I think Zaha and Galatasaray targeted Dalo, there would have been more cover. There would have been a shift. There would have just been a, a little adjustment in the defensive approach to not leave him so exposed. And I take your point that instead it just felt like rinse and repeat and Dalo kept getting rinsed. And, and that to me has been a hallmark of this Manchester United this team this season. We talked about it when they lost to Brighton, that they have a plan A and it can be effective, but as soon as the opposition adjusts to that plan A, then the plan is kind of out the window and they don't know what to do. To me, this was another example of that. They have a plan A of how they want to attack, how they want to kind of take control of this game. But when that starts to falter and when the opponent adjusts as the opponent is going to adjust, they look incapable of figuring it out on their own. It, it feels like they don't really work as a unit and then they rely on individuals and those individuals start to break down a little bit, start to forget their responsibilities. And it just continues to not look very much like a team at all. And contrasting that with Galatasaray, who made smart changes, played as a unit. I didn't think that they were wholly impressive. I didn't think this was them playing the game of their lives and Manchester United playing the worst of theirs. It felt like it was a, a good enough performance from Galatasaray and just a very bad performance in Manchester United. So credit where credit's due, they get the win. But I, I think even more questions for Manchester United, who are uh, in a very, very bad spot at present. Manchester United, while I was watching this game, I was trying to work on a theory that they're like the the, the worst version of Real Madrid from a couple of seasons ago, where um, I remember talking about this on the show, where I had this theory that Real Madrid were a, were a moments team. So even when games are going against them or they don't have a control of the game, it's, al- it's almost an intangible quality, but they are, they are able to control or create the moments that will decide the match. And I think Manchester United are also a moments team but the other way around, they have no control over those moments. So even when things are looking good, like Manchester in the first 20 minutes of this game, I thought, I mean, it's only 20 minutes, but I, I thought they looked decent. They looked energetic, at least. They go 1-0 up at that point. I'm thinking, oh, this is this is going to be an improvement from them. And I've spoken about this multiple times this season. As soon as one thing, one bad thing goes against them, they completely collapse. So even when things are looking good, they're never very far from calamity. And that is like the opposite of Real Madrid when even when things were going bad for them, you knew that they were going to get a yeah. last minute winner. There was going to be a comeback. And it's not a very good trait for a team to have that, yeah. unsurprisingly. Graham, if you'll forgive me an extended metaphor uh, that I have to then clean up. Bill Burr has a bit about adopting a pit bull and how like the pit bull starts to lunge at people, bite people, like attack people. And and he is slowly comes to learn that it's his fault, basically, that it's his energy that he's bringing in the way he's he's treating that dog. But that like he starts to get nervous every time they're on a walk when they see a person and then the dog senses that nervousness and looks at him like, oh, shoot, what? Oh, shoot, that guy. Get that guy. And it just feels like every time with Manchester United, as soon as something goes wrong or a little thing seems to break down, there is just a tightness. There is that like, oh, shoot, oh, shoot. Oh, no. Oh, no. And then they concede uh, the way they do against Zaha, where Dalo has a like a featherweight wrestler trying to body slam Andre the Giant approach. And that did not work out for him. And and there are just those moments of shakiness uh, on an individual level, on a team level. And I think you're totally right that they just don't really have that ability to respond in a positive way to the mo- to those moments or to those individual moments. They don't take control of those. They definitely seem to be 
reactionary and in a very panicky way they are reactionary it felt very symbolic to me taylor zaha coming back to old trafford and scoring like this him being one of the first post ferguson big signings and one of many players since who that seems to happen a lot though with manchester like danny welbeck scoring against them a couple weeks ago (laughs) yeah it's not the first time it's happened of course but yeah it's it, it does feel kind of symbolic of the of the regime of the way that players are not playing to their best potential when they are with man united but then very much show it afterwards and beforehand it's uh yeah I also th- I, I agree. I, I think that is a, a, a common narrative is the former player returning. I, I do think there is something to be said for how often that former player comes back seemingly with a point to prove. And, and again, that is kind of always the case when you're playing an old team, especially if it's an old team that you feel like maybe didn't treat you fairly. But to me, with how consistently it seems to happen, it does speak to a larger, like, I hated my time at this club and now I want to punish you. I think Angel Di Maria did the same thing playing against Manchester United. When I really wanted him to not play well, he comes out and plays well. And I think there are plenty of other players. Again, it speaks to maybe the the negativity behind the scenes at that club that I think no one comes away from Old Trafford these days uh, feeling particularly happy unless they are the opposition supporters. (laughs) (laughs) Onana is surely the, the, the best embodiment of what you're talking about. I know he's a current Manchester United player, but if you look at last season, um, he was, yeah. what's the what's the number again? It, it, he outperformed his, um, Joe can maybe help me out here, was it outperformed his goals against with the, the saves? It, it, it's 7.8 is the number, right? That's the number of goals that Inter could have conceded last season in the Champions League if Onana hadn't been their goalkeeper. He was top of that list in the <laughs> sorry, Champions sorry, League Graham, last to interject. <laughs> I wasn't trying to leave you out to dry. This is going to sound bad. Graham, I just legit didn't know what you were trying to say. <laughs> I was it's trying to remember what, the, what, what was the exact classification with goal goalkeepers that's when they outperform their is it goals again yeah so so i think about goalkeepers you know there's post-shot expected goals which measures how goalkeepers do relative to what they're expected to concede i think that's that's what you're exactly exactly and onana in the champions league for inter milan last season was top of that list he was number one this season i went into uefa site to find those numbers he is second bottom now we've only played two matches granted but nonetheless that is that's quite stark and i think that is a reflection of essentially what Manchester United do to good players. That's just not an environment for them to thrive. Wonderful stuff. Or not wonderful, depending on your perspective. Uh, So Man United are rock bottom of Group A in the Champions League after two match days. Bayern Munich are top, by the way. They had a two-on win at Copenhagen, where from all the footage I saw, there was a permanent red flare behind one of the goals. That was fun. Uh, Thomas Muller doing Thomas Muller things in that game. So Bayern are top, Galatasaray second, Copenhagen in third with one point. Once again, Manchester United, Nilpua, rock bottom of the group. Shall we go? To Group C, Napoli 2, Real Madrid 3. The Bellingham show kicking off once again for Los Blancos. He scored and assisted in this one. Uh, Vinicius Jr. also scoring. And uh, Valverde with a rocket for the winner for Madrid, given oh, us no yeah. goal. Um, give, uh, it's one of those ones where... He almost, he almost took the goalkeeper's head off. Yeah. yeah. And it'll be a goalkeeper own goal, because, uh, which is unfortunate for him because it was a, a fantastic strike. Uh, Napoli were 14 games at home undefeated in the Champions League. That streak is now over. Uh, Graham, uh, another solid performance from the uh, the Bellingham team. <laughs> the Bellingham team, yeah. That's quickly what they have become this season. I actually thought as a whole, to contradict myself slightly, I, I thought Real Madrid were impressive in this match, certainly in the first half. So there have been a number of times this season when Real Madrid have, have won matches but didn't really play that well and Jude Bellingham, more than any other player, has has dug them out. 
but I didn't feel that way here. I thought they had a good game plan to match up against a, a Napoli time, a Napoli team, excuse me, that have shown some signs of their form from last season and a couple recent matches. But um, Real Madrid had too many covering on the right side to stop uh, Cavardona from carrying the ball forward, and that's obviously a big part of how Napoli like to get into attacking phases. I thought Camavinga was was very effective in his counter pressing and in, 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 in his position. Um, for the most part, I thought Rudiger did a good job of matching up physically against Victor Rossman that is one of his strengths um, literally and metaphorically Rudiger I remember he did that against Erling Haaland in the Champions League last season and did a, a decent job and then Real Madrid were able themselves to get into transition moments themselves through Bellingham and Vinicius and that, that's the scary thing about Real Madrid um, is that Bellingham and Vinicius have barely played together this season but when they have they have they've shown that they can work together very very well I thought we saw that in this match, the assist for the Vinicius goal was fantastic from from Bellingham, and then the the dribble and finish for the second goal was even better. And then, as you say, Ryan Fede Valverde taking a player's a goalkeeper's head off with his <laughs> with his winner. There, there there were a lot of good moments for Real Madrid in this match. Real Madrid are just fun, like they're just pure fun right now. I, I'm honestly still not sure if they're a great team or if they're like the best team that we've ever seen. I I don't really know yet what to make of this Real Madrid team in the post Kareem Benzema era because they don't really have an elite number nine at this point. No offense to Hosolu. They're not really playing with a number nine right now. It's just a lot of players picking up different spots as they see fit. And then Jude Bellingham driving out of midfield and scoring bangers. It is massive for them to get Vinicius Jr. back in the starting lineup for the Champions League. It was a second start after an injury. He started against Girona over the weekend. It's such a good finish from him to equalize in the 27th minute after a really simple assist from Jude Bellingham. I don't know, again, I don't know if they're better off for Karim Benzema leaving for Saudi Arabia. I don't think they are. But this idea of them playing with four slash five central midfielders in every single game and doing whatever their chaotic version of tiki-taka-ing their way down the field every single match, I don't know if it's good or bad, but I just know that I like it. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Joe, what do we feel about Napoli and, and their, their prospects in this competition? Obviously, went deep last time around. They've managed to keep... Kvaradon uh, and Victor Osman. Victor Osman now apparently back in love with the team. He's forgiven all the TikTok stuff. Uh, and uh, Aurelio De Laurentiis uh, talking about giving a new contract and such. So it seems like they're in a decent place still. Well, and this is where I, I want to ask the group how did this happen? Like, how did Napoli make it through the summer transfer window while keeping Victor Osman and keeping Kvaradon? I, I was under the impression that those two players were going to be gone, gone. Napoli had their moment. They won the title last year. They made a fairly deep Champions League run. They had their moment with this group. And yet it's it's a similar, not identical, but a similar group in this game. I do not think that they are as strong this year as they were last year. They lose Kim and Jay in the back line. They, they've lost players, also lost a manager. Like there are differences here that I think will hold them back and have made them weaker. But when you have those two players, Osimhen and Cavaradona, and some structure and talent behind them, as Napoli do, like they are not a team that you can brush past easily. And, and even though Real Madrid win this game, they didn't just dispatch Napoli with ease. Yeah, I, th- I think on an individual basis, they're they're clearly still a threat with players like Cavaradskalia uh, and 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 Osimhen. I'm I'm not so hot on Rudy Garcia, and and it feels like he's just kind of hoping that the Spalletti game plan lasts long enough to take him to the end of this season it doesn't feel like he is implementing many of his own ideas but there was a there was an interesting article by Oligan or Solskjaer on 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 the UEFA site uh by the way I should provide some context there uh, Solskjaer is the new UEFA technical observer
server so he does this sort of thing after every round of, of match days he does like a tactical analysis of a game so his analysis was of this match and there was some interesting stuff about the changes that Garcia made in the second half with Zambo and Gisa and uh, Labotka screening ahead of the centre-backs when in the first half the midfield was trying to press Real Madrid more and Solskjaer in this article he's got a, a, a statistic that in the second half the average width across the pitch narrowed to 24.1 metres and in the first half it was 29.7 so that is quite a big difference and it shows the changes that Garcia was able to make they've stayed a little bit more compact that allowed them to get more of a foothold on the ball and then also stop Real Madrid from picking them off and, and leaving players like Zelinski isolated which was a feature of the first half so I, I don't think Garcia is necessarily a bad manager and there were some good reactive changes in this match it's just after following Spalletti who had such a clear vision and ideology it just feels like he's a little bit weak not to take us back to Manchester United but Graham like that that's a really fascinating explanation of of what Rudy Garcia was able to do and I agree Rudy Garcia is a manager that I have a significant amount of skepticism about and yet it seems like he is able to so like what Joe was talking about spotlight the player that maybe is being spotlighted by the opposition and limit some of that vulnerability, uh, make the team react in a way that sort of limits their, uh, like the opportunities for the opposition while also capitalizing on like opportunities presented. And it doesn't feel like Eric Ten Hag is able to make those same changes. So I guess basically Rudy Garcia should take over Manchester United. Is that what you're saying? Or all gone to Solskjaer. <laughs> oh yeah. That, maybe, oh, maybe it's that way. <laughs> yeah. That could be good. I, basically, I guess it, it feels like, it's fascinating to me that Napoli are able to make those little adjustments and have that sort of response when it doesn't seem like things are all particularly happy-go-lucky at that club. Uh, whereas Manchester United, with the amount they've spent, where things should be in the progression of that club, it is yeah. uh, odd to me that they are not able to make those similar adjustments in-game. Yeah, I mean, Napoli are just in a better condition than Manchester United. They don't have a roof that leaks, for example, <laughs> at their stadium. The reason for that is there's no roof at their stadium. Go. So, yeah. Yeah. advantage Napoli. Yeah, there you go. Thinking, they're thinking fair. There we go. All right, so uh, Real Madrid are top of Group C with maximum points. Napoli are in second place. When we come back after this short respite, let's talk about the other game in Group C. Another 3-2 banger with Union Berlin and Sporting Braga back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. 
Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, we are going around the horn in the Champions League. We're going out of Group C and, uh, Graham, are we calling this the Hipster's Choice game or just a, a really good game? It was Union Berlin 2, Sporting Braga 3. Very, very good. Braga coming back from 2-0 down away from home. Yeah. Union Berlin technically away from home as well, we should mention in this one. They Indeed. were playing uh, at the Olympiastadion, uh, home of their rivals, Hertha Berlin, in the National Stadium too. Uh, some of the fans, or many of the fans, unhappy at UEFA for uh, imposing some rules that would have uh, lessen the amount of fans who could have seen the game at home uh, but they did have 73,000 of their own fans here and it did look like a pretty good atmosphere uh, apart from when they were stunned into silence with that winning Braga goal Graham yeah I mean this was a, this was genuinely a fantastic match and while I would have been keeping an eye on it anyway when you have the first match of the of, of the round of fixtures I always tend to watch that one so this one was the early kickoff on the Tuesday which kind of explains why I ended up watching this from kickoff that might have been not have been the case otherwise but yeah it was a fantastic match I'm, I'm not sure how Union Berlin didn't win this match never mind how they didn't get anything from the match they had so many opportunities and they found it so easy to get in behind the Braga backline in the first half I swear they got in behind about 50 times in the first 35 minutes most of them Geraldo Becker getting in behind obviously he scores two goals in this game and, and obviously getting in behind is what Union Berlin looked to do but it was as if Braga had never played against a team with pace um, and that is what did them for the first two Becker goals where he's just clean one-on-one -on -one through on goal Union also had a, a goal disallowed and uh, they had a, a couple other one-on-one -on -one situations so at 2-0 up I thought they were going to blow Braga away, but then Braga dropped their defensive line a bit and then started to play on the break themselves, which resulted in this basketball match in the second half. And it was really wild at times. And and, and the way that Braga fought back was also really wild. A couple of excellent goals. The, the Bruma equaliser is an absolute stunner. It's yeah. one of the best goals of the season so far, not just because of the finish from outside the box, but because of the setup. For, it's a corner, right? It's either a corner or, or yeah. a cross from the left side. The corner comes in to the edge of the box it's then set back with the first touch to maybe like 25 yards out and Bruma bends it and it's one of those ones that starts outside the post and then comes back inside it's an absolute bagger it's one of the goals of the season and then the stoppage time winner from uh, from Castro right that scores that was also pretty good as well from outside the box so just a, a, a very entertaining match I had completely ma missed that Union are, are playing their Champions League games at the, the Olympic Stadium in Berlin 
that I know that it's a great atmosphere this for this game and there's 70,000 fans at this stadium but that feels a shame to me because one of the reasons I was looking forward to seeing Union Berlin in the Champions League is, is to have them at that weird little stadium in the forest that they have mm. that the fans uh, built themselves so yeah let's move the games back to their actual home stadium other than that I'm looking forward to watching Union Berlin again in the Champions League even though they have zero points from two games which feels very very unfair or or, yeah. or unlucky they were very competitive against Real Madrid of course in the first game lost a, a late uh, winner to Real Madrid at the Bernabeu and then this game happened here so maybe no points after two games is not a fair reflection of how they've played yeah uh, they have sold out their other two home games home games in in air quotes at the Olympia Stadium I understand as well but yeah you're right there Graham it would be nice to have seen their their little um <laughs> homemade little stadium in the woods uh, in this competition Taylor I always like being reminded that they they have Kevin Folland Unimber who, who is not 100 years old, despite my uh, thoughts that he would be. Leonardo de Bonucci as well, who might be 100 years old. He might but, be. Uh, he might yeah. be. It is so strange. I, like We've talked about this before, I think, on Weekend Review, how odd it is to see Leonardo de Bonucci playing there. Uh, Alex Kral, pretty solid. Uh, Brendan Aronson, less solid. Joe, we got a good nine-plus minutes uh, of him. Is that what we wanted from Brendan Aronson this season? No. no. We had a much happier Americans Abroad update with Musa and Pulisic yeah. earlier, even if that result wasn't fantastic for Milan. This result, bad for Union Berlin, and Brendan Aronson's fortune continues to go badly with Union Berlin. He comes on in the 81st minute, misses a, a header in this process. He started just one of Union Berlin's last four games, and he has played more than 45 minutes just once all season. So, yeah, lots of time for that to change. But it has been, I know I'm not the biggest Brendan Aronson fan. It, it has probably been about as bad of a start to life on loan at Union Berlin as it could be right now. Indeed. And listener, just to re- uh, re-emphasize Graham's point, if you do uh, anything today, look up that Bruma equalizer if you haven't seen it for the 2-2. Uh, best goal of the round, one of the... Uh one of the better goals you'll see uh, in recent times Taylor I, I do love the way you all have talked about Union Berlin's stadium is as though it's like a bunch of children built it in the woods with like scrap <laughs> sticks and like plastic bags they did they would let their buy a Pied Piper Taylor <laughs> exactly <Yeah>. exactly uh, <laughs> my enduring memory of that stadium will be when they had uh, supporters bring their own couches and then they put them yeah, on the pitch the and world then they cup. watched a, a Germany game at the World Cup yeah and any club that's inviting couches down for a game I, I'm cool with Pivot, they also sing. Pivot. That's what they were saying. Walking them in. <laughs> Good one. Um, yeah, they also sing like Christmas carols every every year. They have fans on the pitch to sing Christmas carols. Yeah, they're they're a cool little club, and it's a yeah. shame they're not playing at that stadium. I, I genuinely wish they they weren't playing at the Olympic Stadium. Yeah, I mean it is a shame, but also twice as many fans will see their games. So you know. Swing some roundabouts. Let's uh, move to Group B, shall we? Uh, Disappointment for Arsenal. A 2-1 defeat at Lons, which is not the band who did Steal My Sunshine back in the 90s. It's the French League on our side, just to be clear. Uh, They came from behind for Arsenal's first That's a Len joke right there, everybody. (laughs) Steal My Sunshine. Banger. Still a banger. Um, (laughs) This was the first Champions League game at the Stade Bola (laughs) de Lely, excuse me, uh, for 20 years since 2002. A fantastic, (laughs) indeed. Uh, No microwaved uh, good on show at this stadium though Graham a great night for Lons this one another one of these games that I was mentioning earlier Taylor where it felt like the atmosphere was incredible like the, the flags going all the way through really came through on the broadcast I thought uh, very nicely taken uh, equaliser volley from Adrian Thomason as well in this one Saka coming off with an injury again not too good not so good. Uh, three games in a row, he's been substituted. I think the first one, that, that stat gets repeated a lot. I think the first one was against Spurs in like the 90th minute. Yes, it's for a knock, but it's not quite like in the 30th minute or in this case, the 34th. 
But it is the case that Saka has now come off with injury uh, or with a knock in the last three games uh, and and even was questionable to play this past weekend and then I think was questionable again to play in this game. And it, it feeds into the idea that maybe he is played too often. Uh, a few numbers for you. He's 22 years old. He's played 87 consecutive league uh, games for Arsenal. He's played 683 of a possible 720 UEFA Champions League minutes. He's the only player in Arsenal's history to feature in every every game across consecutive Premier League campaigns. So he has just played and played and played and played. And a lot of the narrative has been because Mikel Arteta wants him to to kick on, to reach a new level, to become a world-class elite player. I would argue he has probably done that. And I would argue running him into the ground might not be the way to do it. So for him to come off in the 34th minute with Manchester City waiting on the weekend, uh, the results, not great for Arsenal. Certainly losing Saka could be much more detrimental given how critical he has been uh, to this team and how much he has been played. It feels like if they don't have him, if they don't have Martinelli, they're going to have some issues out wide. They are indeed. So on top of the group with four points, Arsenal second with three. Sevilla and PS3, PSV excuse me, taking up the third and fourth positions. Uh, Eindhoven and Sevilla drawing on this, uh, uh, this week as well. 2-2 PSV with a 96-minute equaliser. Joe, did we get some Tillman action here? Did we? we yeah, yeah, we, we did, yeah. We did. He tilled. Uh, he started, played the whole game. I still haven't gotten a chance to actually watch this game yet. Uh, lots of Champions League games this week, as it turns mm-hmm. out. I don't know if you guys caught that or not. So I haven't actually watched this match yet, but I believe that is two consecutive starts for Malik Tom- Malik Malik Toma. I think we've been saying it wrong. I, I think it's uh, I think it's now multiple consecutive starts for him. And I'm excited to see more. He's in the U.S. roster that has dropped while we've been recording for their October friendlies. Maybe progress for Tillman. I like it. Very nice indeed. Uh, Group D, by the way, RB Salzburg with a 2-0 loss at home to Real Sociedad, who are top of Group D at Real Sociedad at the moment. And Inter with a 1-0 home win over Benfica. Benfica bottom of the group with zero points. Graham, should we go to uh, Group E, where Celtic had a 2-1 home loss to Lazio. Late heartbreak for the Scots there. Late heartbreak for Graham and his accumulator bet, which he was sharing with us on... uh... It came in. I I needed that goal. You didn't seem to be grasping the the situation. Uh, Ah, yeah. okay. okay, good for you then. Uh, so not not late heartbreak for Graham then. <laughs> no, not uh, at all. <laughs> we'll uh, correct that. Uh, there was a, an interesting TIFO I saw, Graham, at the stadium at Parkhead there, anti-fascist TIFO there with a, an image of Mussolini hanging upside down and the phrase, follow your leader. Mm, against Lazio point, there. Pointed. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that mm. that had a certain point to make to a certain fan base and particularly sore for Celtic that they ended up losing um, in this manner to the team that that banner was against. Yeah, very sore because they actually played really well for long periods of, of the match. They had control. I thought Matt O'Reilly was excellent. Kyogo looked sharp, which hasn't always been the case for him in Europe. That has been a, a hill for me to die on is that Kyogo Furuhashi is very, very good. He hasn't shown it in Europe. Until this match, he scores in this game and was generally um, very dangerous. They created opportunities. They had a goal disallowed to go 2-1 up where Lewis Palmer, it's an excellent finish from him. He does that very embarrassing thing when you have a goal disallowed where he really celebrated that goal. He took his shirt off. He did a number of gestures. He went down on his knees. There was like five different celebrations in one. It was like when someone mashes the buttons on FIFA <laughs> and then they had to go to VAR disallowed. And then uh, Lazio score in the third minute of stoppage time mm. should should I mention that it was CCV who dithered on the ball that led to the Lazio winner or should, should I just leave that you've done it out? now so too late oh yeah. oh dear Never well mind. cats at the bag um, <laughs> yeah it, it was a throwback to how Celtic were last season in the Champions League where they actually played very well in a number of games but 
didn't get the results to reflect that. So yeah, yeah this is this is this is um, something they have already experienced. Indeed, I think it's now two hundred years since they last won a home game in the Champions League as well. It's been a while. yeah, and Brendan Rodgers now has the worst record of any manager in the Champions League. True cool. story. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Well, yeah, the disappointment for Celtic there. As I mentioned, their fans are protesting against uh, uh, fan bases with right wing tendencies. Unrelated, Atletico Madrid and Feyenoord played a game together. Uh, it was 3-2 to Atletico Madrid in this one. Graham, did you catch it? Um, I kind of I was watching this one. I think this was one of the earlier um, kickoffs, and so there were a lot of goals coming through. I didn't watch the full 90 minutes. There was, however, a ridiculous VR offside decision in this game where I think it's for the equaliser where the ball is played through to Alvaro Morata. He is clearly offside and the Feyenoord defender sticks out a leg we've seen this sort of thing before with the v, with with the law which is just completely unfit for purpose so the the, the, the Feyenoord defender sticks out a leg makes the interception the ball then falls to an Atletico Madrid player who was onside and that that player I think it was Angel Correa um, finishes into the back of the net because the defender has made, made a deliberate play on the ball it it counts it's onside but he wouldn't make that play if there wasn't an offside player behind him. I can't understand how this law hasn't been changed yet. So when I say it's a ridiculous VR decision, it is actually to the letter of the law. But that needs to change because that is a ridiculous situation. Oh, wow. Uh, something's not gone right with the laws of the game. That's interesting. We should, we should talk about that sometime. <laughs> they should replay it. Yeah, <laughs> definitely replay that game on that basis. Excellent, Jürgen. Uh, let's go to Group G, shall we? Leipzig with a 3-1 home defeat to Manchester City. Another dub for the defending champion, Taylor. Substitutes Julian Alvarez and Jeremy Doku with the late goals here. Yeah, mostly I just want to shout out Graham for, I feel like, being the leader, the main conductor, the primary engineer of the Julian Alvarez hype train, I, I feel like he's been on that one for quite some time. And this was another great example of how good he is as a as a player, how much he understands his role. But then just that, again, he is a very good finisher. This finish for people who haven't seen. It's a lovely one where he kind of picks his head up, recognizes how much space he has and where he can put it, takes a little touch and then bends it into the far side netting near the top corner. It's a mm-hmm. great goal. Uh, and Graham, well done to you for the oh. continued love of Julian Alvarez. Th- thanks, Taylor. It was it was a good scouting report for me, I have to say. It was difficult to find a player who was a key figure for a team that won the World Cup. Yeah, <laughs> it was difficult, difficult to unearth him. How did you do of that treble winning side who had a player who won the World Cup? <laughs> what are your secrets? Very good. Um, I, you, can, you, can, you can make jokes if you want, but I think that like he is a player. Been, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but to me, I, I, I genuinely think he is a player that I was like, oh, he's Holland's backup. He's there to be a deputy. He's there to be like not quite as good. He's Eddie and Katia to Gabriel Jesus, and that's gone a different way as well. Uh, but it felt to me like he was never going to be the man, and didn't seem like he was capable of being the man. And yet, Graham, you have him them both in your fantasy team, and it has worked out well for you. That is not the only reason why you deserve credit, but I think it's a reminder of how good Pep is at identifying talent, utilizing it in a way that makes sense as it needs to make sense, but then is capable of evolving and adapting that role based on the performance, based on the ability of the player. And and here Alvarez comes in, is sort of doing a deputy type job for Holland, but I think still is able to have the impact that we would expect of a striker for Manchester City. Unrelated to Julian Alvarez, who, yes, very good, and I, I will support Graham in all of his endeavors. Uh, does, does anyone else feel like we just had this fixture? Did City just not play Leipzig like three weeks ago in last year's Champions League, which yeah. in my head was also three weeks ago? Yeah. I, I, I was really feeling strange watching bits and pieces of this game, looking at the score and all that stuff. It just feels like this all happened like, yeah, mere like moments ago. Yeah, so weird. 
Ash's reference, Graham, on the Total Soccer Show. Excellent yeah, no, I, I just realized that's not going to land <laughs> with most of our listeners. The, the, yeah. the crickets didn't give that away, no? Uh, <laughs> the cricket crickets, very good indeed. Um, yeah, they do play each other a lot, these two teams, Joe. It's almost, it almost feels like they're in the same league sometimes. Uh, Red Star and Young Boys had a 2-2 draw elsewhere in Group G. Man City top with maximum points, Leipzig in second. Uh, last but not least, we go to Group H, where Royal Antwerp had a 3-2 defeat at home to Shakhtar Donetsk. And Porto had a 1-0 loss at home to Barcelona. Ferran Torres with the goal. Gavi sent off two wins from two for Barcelona. Um, I don't know, Joe, any comments as the uh, as the crown prince of Porto? Uh, the dictator of Porto, sorry. Uh, but also the Barcelona apologist. Yeah, also so it's a little confusing. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this yeah. is a, a confusing one for your identity, it's a socio. It, uh, slightly, slightly so. Um, I don't know exactly where that means I should come down here. I'll just say Gavi getting a red card like once a month feels like canon at this point. That's just kind of his... You know, his brand is also canon in a different way, spelled differently. Uh, it just feels right, as does Barcelona winning every single game yeah. they play. Gavi just wants a rest. He's seen what happened to Pedri he's like I'll try and avoid that <laughs> oh boy oh boy Holding it's funny because it's true it is indeed <laughs> uh you know what else is true Joe we have reviewed the Champions League match day two wonderful Woo-woo. stuff guys I, as I say I think this is one of the better rounds in recent memory just so many memorable games some brilliant memory memorable moments uh lots of last minute old late goals Taylor Old Trafford oh thank you uh sorry sorry Sorry, you're not. You're not. You can't just make that joke and then say sorry. I refuse. <laughs> you guys to should see it. the smile that was on Ryan's face you as he said the third sorry. sorry. In sack. That's what I say. <laughs> it's true. I'm not sorry. Uh, anyway, love, it was laugh, fun. Love. Uh, the neutral, as I am, enjoyed this round very much indeed. As I enjoyed talking to my good friends on the Total Soccer Show about it, Taylor Rockwell. Sorry again, but thank you very much. Not sorry. I'm buying an MK Don shirt right now, just so you know. <laughs> That has crossed my line. Oh, gosh. I hope you're having a bonfire soon. Graham Ruthman, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Joe Lowry. Grazie mille, Elvia Michael. <laughs> Grazie mille. Uh, I'm going to put, you can shove your sorries in a sack on my tombstone, Taylor. I love that. <laughs> you can thank George Costanza, my friend. So on, <laughs> let's do that on that note listener thank you very much for joining us we'll be back on the feed very shortly but for now bye Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.